Good evening and welcome to Direct Impact Broadcasting, the station of growth and transformation. Affiliate of Creative Broadcasting presents Leadership Tidbits with Coach T. Wilson with your host, Taiwana Wilson, as she welcomes her guest to the studio. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to another episode of Leadership Tidbits with Coach T. Wilson. I am your host and leadership mentor, Tywana Wilson. I am super excited that you are here in our virtual learning laboratory tonight. I have another amazing mentor for you. So come right in to our virtual learning lab do us a favor before I let you know who our mentor is. Do us a favor, come on in, let us know where you're coming in from, and make sure you share this broadcast out with your network because there's going to be some juicy nuggets that will be shared tonight. So come on in and let us know where you are coming in from so that we can welcome you in properly. So as you are coming in, this is going to be exciting, especially for all of my entrepreneurs out there. Tonight's mentor, Mr. Edward Collins, has some great stuff for us tonight. So Edward, how are you? I'm doing very well, Coach T. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm really happy to be here. Awesome. So I'm going to read a little bit about you, but before I do, I like to let all of my audience know where our mentors are coming in from. So we have mentors from all around the world and you are coming to us from? Currently, I'm physically situated in Miami. I bi-locate between Miami and New Jersey, but I'm physically in Miami at the moment. Okay. So our mentor tonight is in Miami. So that is awesome. So a little bit about our mentor. For more than two decades, Edward has been helping business owners all across the United States to tackle the challenges that that lack that the financial literacy creates, the lack of financial literacy creates. As the founder of Uplevel Entrepreneur, a business coach, a financial strategist, and a committed problem solver, Edward has dedicated his career to creating his by design methodology that focuses on sharing actionable, testing in the trenches tools, techniques, and strategies to help entrepreneurs develop mastery over mindset, money, and momentum necessary to achieve what he refers to as real wealth. Now that sounds good. I want to hear more about that. So he is on a mission to materially improve the lives and the businesses of 1 million freedom-loving, family-focused entrepreneurs. In addition to up-level entrepreneur, he has built and scaled multiple seven-figure businesses spanning from a financial planning firm to an accounting practice and a digital marketing agency with a few others sprinkled in there in between. So, ooh, you have some good stuff for us. Hopefully, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> so let's welcome in a few of our guests before you get started and, and kind of share 
uh, and some actionable items that our viewers can take away. Absolutely. So we have Anthony coming in. Hi, Anthony. So he said, hey, everybody, it's great to be here. Thank you for joining. He is an entrepreneur, so definitely Excellent. some good tips. Got Miss Diane here. So Christy Williams, Cincinnati, mm -hmm. Ohio, owner of Christy Collections, LLC. Wonderful. Another business owner, so definitely got a good market for your message tonight absolutely so i'll let you go ahead and kind of take it away edward and and i got my pen and paper i'm ready <laughs> <laughs> let me let me start off just by giving a little of a bit of background as to why people should even consider listening to someone like myself i mean um, i've been on a journey uh, pretty much for the past two decades within my own businesses first and foremost figuring out how to how to really fix a lot of the problems that our traditional education system puts forth with regard to financial literacy, really so that I can understand how to get to a point where I, I can at least aspire to have consistent financial freedom. And what I mean by consistent financial freedom is there's a, there's a big difference between being rich and being wealthy. Um, and a lot of people, like if I if I ask the audience if to virtually raise their hand, who who here wants to be rich? I mean, pretty much almost always when I'm out at, at, at presentations and speaking events, almost all the hands go up. Um, but but in reality, I don't really wish people to be rich. I, I wish them to be wealthy. And the main difference between being rich and being wealthy has to do with the generation of of cash flow, because being rich is simply um, being in a state where you're you're consistently generating cash flow that's in excess of your daily needs and wants, and that that definition by itself is is one that most people are like, wow, yes, that's exactly what I want. But the reality of that is it's it's limited and dependent upon you to generate that cash flow, and and most of the time when a business owner um, comes to me and I sit down and I have a chance to talk with them. What we realize in, in the first few minutes of that conversation is that they're not really a business owner. They're a job owner. And as a job owner, the, the riches that they're creating are dependent upon their continued, basically continued activity doing whatever it is within their business that generates the income. So if you're an electrician, it's the actually doing the wiring yourself. If if you are a, a collectibles uh, a, a company and you're, you're you're offering collectibles, you're the one who's curating and then actually selling the collectibles. You're making sure that the collectibles are presented and merchandised in a good way within your storefront. Um, and and that's really what most individuals who who consider themselves to be business owners that's really the the category they fall into. They're they're simply job owners. And what I, I've tried to do over the course of the past two, dec two decades is, is really curate systems and processes by which I can help, regardless of what level you are within your entrepreneurial journey, I can help you up level to the next level. So if you're going from, if you're starting out as a job owner, which again, the vast majority of businesses, specifically in the United States, and I'd, I'd venture to say that this is worldwide. But the vast majority of individuals who call themselves business owners in, in the United States are really just job owners. Um, and the average business in the United States makes, makes less than $78,000 a year. So if you're in that category and, and you want to get to the next level, if you want to take your business from high five figures, low six figures, and really get up to the mid six figure level, 
the, the things and the processes and, and the thought process, the, the financial literacy or lack thereof that has gotten you to where you are currently is not going to be what's necessary to get you to the next level. So I, I, I've developed systems, processes, uh, procedures, and techniques by which I help those individuals I'm lucky to serve be able to know what the next steps are. Um, and when, when you graduate from being a job owner to becoming a business owner, the, the main difference in that is, is you're, you're not as focused working in the business. You're now more uh, spending more of your time and leveraging more of your time to work on the business. And you've applied different systems and processes to the business enterprise in order to make sure that you're transitioning from being rich, meaning generating uh, cash flow in excess of your daily needs and wants, to becoming and working towards building what I refer to as real wealth. And real wealth is a similar state of having excess cash flow beyond your daily needs and wants. Um, but the reality is that it's no longer dependent upon you to be generating the cash flow. You now have a business which is in place that generates the cash flow on a consistent, repeatable basis because you have you put into place within your enterprise systems and processes so that you can master what I refer to as leverage. So most people hear the word leverage and they get a little concerned because are you, are you talking about debt? Well, maybe <laughs> there's, there's, there's financial leverage, which is traditional debt. There's also asset leverage. There's leveraging the assets that you have access to in order to create more cash flow. Um, there's human resource leverage, meaning leveraging other people. And then there's technology leverage, being able to leverage tools and technology resources um, in order to get more um, cash flow generation within your enterprise. And then once you're doing that, once you're at that level, uh, as a business owner, you're now, you're now starting to really generate cash flow beyond what your own personal activity can generate. You're, you're getting beyond your skill sets and you're really leveraging the systems your business has in place. And that's real, real, where your journey to real wealth actually begins, because if you look at um, if you look at how most businesses generate, again, I said the average business in the United States generates less than seventy eight thousand dollars of income. Most businesses generate that income based on the skill sets of the owner. And again, mm -hmm. I'm going to call that a job owner. The skill sets of the job owner, and the problem with that is. As a job owner, you're limited to 24 hours a day and seven days in a week. And it's very difficult to scale yourself. Um, yeah. But when you shift your mindset and understand that the, the real value that you potentially could bring to the table is in, in the wealth of knowledge that you have in doing what you do and figure out how can you plug systems in place in order to leverage things like marketing, because marketing is should be a, a pivotal uh, um, goal of any enterprise. If I, I say well, the first step of a business is to promote, and the second step is then to promote, and the third step <laughs> is to promote even more. Because the more people who know about your unique talents and, and your unique processes by which you offer the goods or services you have to your customer base, the more opportunity you have to not only cultivate your audience, which is the individuals who are interested in hearing your messaging, um, you get to convert that audience into interested prospects, which would be individuals who are um, ready to purchase from you, whether that's a good or a service. But 
the critical step is also understanding the third C. So again, I think there's three C's to successful uh, income generation. The first one was cultivate your audience. The second is convert that audience into um, interested prospects. But the third is to close those prospects into actual paying customers and clients. Um, and the closing process, again, sales, a, a lot of people have a very negative connotation to sales and what sales actually is. Um, and a lot of people are afraid of sales. Um, but in reality, in everything you do in life, you're either selling yourself a service or a product. So if you're going to spend time developing a skill set, sales is one of the ones you really want to develop. Um, so I help the individuals I'm lucky to serve develop those skill sets. Um, and again, when you when you look at the journey towards real wealth creation as a business owner, the next step is to really jump up to what I refer to as being an entrepreneur. And there's a difference between being a business owner and being an entrepreneur. An entrepreneur has a different mindset around the business enterprises that they own, the assets that they own. Um, and now you're deploying systems across multiple assets. Um, and I think at this point, it's really important for me to, to define my terms because uh, I mentioned early on in this discussion that I think that the traditional education system with regard to financial literacy mm -hmm. is very lacking. Um, and I think that if, if, you, if you really look at what you've been taught in school, one, you probably haven't been taught much about financial I was financial about to say, I uh, probably haven't been taught. <laughs> exactly. Most of the time, again, the, you get a very cursory level. And, and again, even, even that level is taught by academics, not necessarily tacticians. Mm -hmm. So what I mean by that is it's typically taught by someone who isn't doing it. So the person who's teaching accounting in your high school class of accounting probably isn't an accountant. Or if they were, you have to question as to why they're teaching now rather than actually practicing accounting and building accounting firms on their own. Um, but the reality is the things you're taught in school, even in business school, again, are really good from an academic standpoint, but in practice, there's a big mm -hmm. difference. So it all starts with what I refer to as the fundamental understanding of the difference between an asset and a liability. So when I, when I use the term asset, the way I define an asset is simply something that you control. You don't necessarily need to own it, but you control which generates cash flow for you. So it's a different, different notion than that term that is taught in school. An asset in school is almost pretty much any piece of property that you own. Right. But the reality is assets for me in real business, in the real world, and what had this fundamental understanding of the difference between an asset and liability can clearly be something I can point to that has helped catapult me to a level of financial independence that I, I didn't even know was possible when I was younger. Mm -hmm. um, and the reality is an asset is something that's generating cash flow for you. And a liability is anything that consumes your cash flow. Um, so as an example, uh, the, the traditional American dream, if you will, is to own your own home, right? And a lot of people uh, think about owning your own home and your home being one of your largest assets. But if you look at it from the lens of my definitions of assets and liabilities, the personal residence in which you live is likely not an asset. It's more likely a liability because it consumes your cash flow. It consumes it in the form of mortgage payments, interest payments on the mortgage, property taxes on that property, insurance on the property, maintenance and upkeep, um, uh, 
hazards that potentially potential li liabilities that could exist by invitees coming to your property and getting injured. So that thing, which you traditionally call an asset through my lens would be called a liability. And having a, a fundamental understanding of the difference between an asset and a liability is the groundwork. It's the foundations of financial literacy that can help a business owner make informed business decisions regarding the acquisition of assets and or the acquisition of liabilities within their enterprise. And it's very important to understand and have a good foundation to financial literacy so that you can make those informed decisions. And as you're journeying down that path, um, then we get to an understanding of, well, what is profit? Um, and how, how are the traditional notions of profit generated within an enterprise? And again, let's look back to school. If you, if you were ever taught a profit formula, um, it was likely something like income minus liabilities equals profit. Mm -hmm. um, and while that is great, and yes, that formula works, um, my question for the business owners who are currently on this, this broadcast with us is, why are you in business in the first place? You're in business to make a profit, right? I mean, that's, that's typically why most people have made the, the jump of working for someone else. Um, what is the adage? Something like uh, a, an entrepreneur is someone who's, who's willing to sacrifice or give up working 40 hours a week for someone else so that they can work 100 hours a week for themselves. Um, the, the, the reason why most people are willing to do that, to sacrifice, to put in the effort and energy is because they want to make a profit. They want, to, they want to have some sort of journey towards financial independence in their life. So if profit is centric, if it's if it's if it's core to why you're doing the business in the first place, in the profit formula, why would you put profit last? Meaning, why would you do income minus liabilities equals profit? Because then you don't find out what your profit is until after everything is done. What I try to do is I try to help people rework that formula, and I call it the real profit formula: is income minus planned profit. Meaning, you predict what your profit's going to be before you get before the game even starts. You plan out your profit. And then whatever's left over equals the, the liabilities that remain within the business. So that's what, what you're able to, to spend that excess on mm -hmm. in order to keep the business operable, whether that's paying the rent for wherever your business may be housed, if it's in a physical location, or if you're um, a, a solopreneur or a remote uh, type of business, uh, making sure that the utilities for that business, the internet connection, the website, uh, the funnel technology, the marketing, ad spend, et cetera, it, that there are resources that are available for that. But again, first and foremost, you start with an understanding of planning out your profit. And I know that that's not an easy thing to do because again, fundamentally, you've been taught to do it a different way. You've been taught to think of profit as a, as a result. But if you shift your mindset and say, okay, no, let's make profit an actual part of our business strategy. Let, let's put it in the very beginning of the formula. You're, you're shifting your approach to pretty much every decision you make in business then, because you're saying essentially you're doing what most people heard of before, like pay yourself first. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, Coach D, how many times have you heard that phrase? Pay yourself first, pay yourself first. I mean, probably pretty often. Yes. Most people don't know how to do it. <laughs> like how, how do I pay myself first? Because mm -hmm. oftentimes, again, if you think about the traditional business in the U United States, you're often running out of money before you run out of month. So what's left over is like nothing. So you're not really making a profit. Um, and that's, 
that's likely one of the root causes for so many businesses to fail. Um, if you look at, at how businesses are, are organized on an annual basis, the amount of businesses that don't make it to year two, I mean, essentially within the first five years, almost 50% of the businesses that are formed, uh, again, within the United States on average have, have failed out. And almost a little bit north of 90% of all businesses by the year 10 within the enterprise have also failed out. And a lot of that has comes down to really not having the right foundations for profit in the beginning, and then not building upon those foundations to, to get scale within your enterprise. And it's not easy, okay? Um, but it's simple. So what I mean by that <laughs> is you do the simple things. You do the you do the things that um, aren't always sexy, but they actually do move the needle over time. And time can be your friend. Time can actually be your ally. That whole concept of compounding is something that isn't limited to just what happens in your investment portfolio. Um, mm -hmm. Compounding can happen over time by building the right team and then growing their skill sets so that they can add more value to your enterprise over time. Um, employing the right technology within your business and then leveraging that over time. Um, if, it, For instance, if I can find a way to minimize your tax burden uh, by $10,000 a year, that's that's a nice chunk of change in year one. But if it's every year for the next 10 years, we're talking about $100,000 of, uh, of capital that you can have redeployed towards something else within your business to grow more income. Um, mm -hmm. And then also work to to plug more of the profit leaks that exist within your enterprise. And, and there are a ton of them. I mean, taxes is one of the, the largest profit leaks of any business. Um, and you sit back and you, again, this comes down to, to some of the fundamental flaws and the financial literacy that people have is they think, um, yeah, I, I already have an, a, a tax guy or an accountant uh, that that's assisting me in minimizing my taxes. But the reality is most accountants, and again, this is not a knock on accountants, it's just the reality of what happens, is most accountants spend all of their time, their effort, and their energy just trying to figure out how to best tell the IRS what's already happened, not necessarily planning for reducing your taxes in the future. That's, that's a different thing. So tax preparation is absolutely important. It's critical. In fact, it's the law. You have to, you have to file your taxes. Um, <laughs> but it, it's more, again, if your goal is to create I mean, most of the people I, I speak with and I have the pleasure of talking with when we when we have really in-depth conversations, most people really want to create something they refer to as generational wealth. So it's something that's beyond themselves, whether that's to their own future uh, uh, heirs or to the causes that they care about, having a real impact on their community. To, but to build that, you really want to figure out how how can you keep more of what you generate every single year? Uh, because one of the largest profit leaks that you have in your business is is paying more taxes than you're required to. In fact, this is really interesting, and 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 I think the audience should, should really pay attention to what I'm about to share because it's truly enlightening. Forbes wrote an article, and they did a lot of research on this. They they investigated a significant amount of businesses all across the United States, and in the article, they they determined that more than nine out of ten to the tune of 93% of all businesses overpay their taxes every single year. Wow. Let that sink in every year. And that's because, again, most businesses rely on a tax professional to help them reduce their tax burden 
when in reality, that tax professional is just doing tax preparation work. They're not doing tax planning. Tax planning is figuring out, well, what can I do today that will help tomorrow be less burdened by taxes? And that actually requires you to do something. It requires you to change your spending habits, which requires you to to think differently with regard to your business. So I focus on helping a lot of uh, what I refer to as family uh, focused, freedom loving entrepreneurs. They're they're individuals who typically have families, uh, maybe maybe young children, s- similar to myself. Mm-hmm. Individuals, uh, as, as I mentioned to you before we actually started, I have two I have two little ones. So uh, my son Ryan uh, turned eight back in January, and my daughter Victoria turned uh, six back in September. Um, and most people think, oh, well, wait a minute, um, I'm going to use my after-tax dollars, meaning I'm going to I'm going to operate my business, I'm going to earn some money, I'm going to pay some taxes on that money, and I have some now capital that I can put to work to support my family. Most people would do that, and and what I think of is how can I come up with a way that I can work hard, but keep more of those resources and 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 use those resources to benefit my family strategically. So a methodology that you can use within business is to figure out how can you employ your children within your business in order to to offset some of the tax burden, but still be able to benefit your family. Because here's an interesting thing. Um, Within the United States, again, a lot of other countries have this as well. It's a a similar rule, but specifically within the United States, you're permitted, uh, if you have a child that is under the age of 18, so 17 or younger, you're permitted to pay them up to $12,000 per year and by doing so, you're reducing the taxable income within your business. But the, the interesting thing is you're not required to put them on payroll. You can pay them as uh, an outside um, uh, uh, employee, if you will. They're not mm-hmm. a payroll uh, type of employee. The child is not required to report any income taxes for anything $12,000 or less. So they can earn up to $12,000 a year not owe any income taxes on that. They don't even have to file a return. And the business gets to deduct $12,000 worth of employment expense. So now that $12,000 can be set aside into an account for the child. You can set up uh, with a debit card of its own. And every time you need to buy something for that child going forward, you just use that one debit card. So now you're essentially doing the same thing you were doing beforehand, meaning you're supporting your children, Mm-hmm. You're, you're paying for the things that they normally consume on, a, on an ongoing basis, but you're doing it with pre-tax dollars because those dollars have not been taxed. You get a tax deduction at the business level, and the child doesn't have to pick it up as earned income uh, on their on a, on any ret- tax return. Now, you're limited to $12,000, but we're mm-hmm. talking about typically children here. So it, it has to be services that they actually have to do, meaning they actually have to work in the business. <laughs> so you can't you can't just put them put them on the books and not have them do anything. But like my son Ryan, he easily can take out the trash within within the business. He can come to the office and help me organize files and move things around the office. He can actually do things that I would have to pay someone else to do should I choose to, mm-hmm. but still add value to the business have me shift income that otherwise would be taxable at my tax bracket, which is not pleasant, unfortunately, um, but shifting it now to a tax bracket that is essentially zero. So there, there are ways that you can employ tax strategies to help plug the profit leaks within your business. And the, 
there, there are a couple phrases that I often give to, to, to business owners to help them really graduate from being a business owner to becoming a, an entrepreneur. And one phrase um, is stop asking Ken questions of your financial professionals. Um, what I mean by that is you, you should never go to your accountant and say, can I deduct X, Y, and Z? Can I deduct my next vacation? Or can I deduct my vehicle? Or can I deduct my home office? What you should add to that phrase is the word how in the beginning of it. So mm -hmm. change your can questions to how can questions, and you, sh you dramatically shift the outcome of the conversation because can questions simply ask for a yes or no, and the easiest answer for anyone to ever give is no. So <laughs> if you ask your accountant a can question, almost always you're going to get a no. Because that's the easiest one. And, and accountants tend to be very burdened, especially around tax season. They're just trying to eke out the tax returns before the deadline. Um, so they don't, and again, this is not a knock on accounts because again, the job that they do is a labor of love because otherwise I don't know why you would go through all that effort and energy. Um, but but the reality is they most really good accountants just don't have the time to, to add significant more to a conversation than a simple yes or no to a can question. But when you shift it and you add the word how, you're now calling for thought. You're now calling for strategic thought. You're saying, how can I do this? It's a totally different type of conversation. And if you employ that with every financial professional that you interact with, you'll have dramatically different outcomes. And if you're not getting a dramatically different outcome, well, that's a key indicator that you should find a different financial professional. You should find someone who's actually has the aptitude and the interest to engage in those types of thought exercises. Because yes, there's, there is a lot of black and white when it comes to the tax code. I mean, if you think about the current version of the tax code, it's about 17,000 pages long. And if you think your accountants read all those, you're, <laughs> you're, you're sadly mistaken. Um, but the reality is a lot of that 17,000 pages is black and white. It's do this, do that, do this, don't do that. But some of it is gray because there's, there hasn't been enough, um, real direction that's come for the IRS. So the process is you work with your financial professionals to figure out, well, what could we do that still stays within the, 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 the code, but helps you to, to pay essentially the absolute minimum that you're required to pay when it comes to taxes so that you can be above average when it comes to the Forbes article. And you're not part of the 93% that is continually overpaying every single year. You're figuring out, year one, year two, year three, year 10 down the road, you're paying the absolute minimum. And the, the, the benefit of doing that means you're, you're pulled into an environment where you're keeping much more of your hard-earned money. And now you can deploy that towards the things that you're best capable of deploying that, whether that's within your business, whether that's to your family, whether that's to the local or, or non-local causes that you care about. Um, again, I, I cater to two different aspects of, of the entrepreneur, that family focus, but the second half of that is freedom loving. I, my, my fundamental core is I believe that each individual is always going to be better at managing the resources that they have towards the causes and the people that they care about than anyone who's distant from them. Like, for instance, the federal government. Mm -hmm. um, don't, don't, I, I mean, this is not a political show, so I know that, so I'm not going to go down too much of a political <laughs> track, but... Again, I, I just think that the, the government hasn't done a really great job, at least historically speaking, at managing financial resources from my perspective. Um, so I always feel that individuals would be better capable of doing that. And I think that oftentimes you have a better impact 
because you you can actually put the dollars to work, especially if you're you're interested in local causes. You can put those dollars to work and actually see the impact and have a say on the impact as well. You, you have a little bit more um, uh, almost stewardship over the financial resources that you have. Does that make sense? It does. It does. And I it I have some questions uh, based off of what you said, but we do have a few people that have chimed in. So I want to make sure that we highlight them. So my fellow co-host on the Elaborate Topics podcast, Lona Small said, hello. Hello, hello. And then our mentor from last week, who was on Jessica Eastman Stewart. She said, when you were talking about your profit formula, she mm-hmm. said it reminded her a lot of the, what was talked about in the profit first book. Absolutely. So, Michael McCallowitz is, is an exceptional thought leader when it comes to profit first. Um, he and I differ a little bit on the application of the different financial accounts I, that every business I believe should have. Um, but the fundamental principle is the same, meaning, Figuring out um, one how to drive your revenue up because that's one one of the variables in profit development. Um, but two, within the profit sector, figuring out one not only the five financial accounts that I think every business owner should have, and figuring out how to allocate from your income account to the what I refer to as the four utilization accounts. What percentage you should put in each of the four utilization accounts? Again, he and I differ slightly on that, mm-hmm. but. The fundamental principle is the same in that you're starting with an understanding that profit is why you're in business in the first place. Um, So you should plan that out. I mean, most people talk about building a business plan and almost always a business plan, like when you're sitting down and reviewing an actual business plan, it, it talks about. What is my market? What is the potential reach? What are my what's my uh, avatar? My client avatar? Um, what are the the products or services I'm going to be rendering? What's the market competition? But very, I mean, I've I've in my history in more than 20 years doing this, when I'm taking a look at other people's business plans, I could count on one hand the number of times I've seen an actual planned profit put into that business plan. Again, because fundamentally, you've been taught that it's income minus expenses equals profit. Uh, you've been taught that. So you, at, at, I know it sounds uh, re- possibly ridiculous, but the reality is words matter. And the more you say things over time, your mindset creates a lens through which you see the world. And if you're taught that profit is an afterthought, meaning it's something that is a result you're not going to spend the time you're, or invest the time up front to plan it out because you're expecting it to be a result. And the reality is if you're tr- waiting for it to result, you may make a lot of missteps in the beginning that end up creating a lack thereof of profit. And right. again, profit is, is the key, the fundamental aspect of building a business which can become an enterprise, which then can create tangential or related businesses um, so that you're now acquiring multiple assets. Again, if you if you look at uh, my fundamental difference uh, between an asset and liability, your goal in life, again, this is my my personal perspective, your goal in life should be acquiring assets. And the first big asset that you're going to own is going to be as a business owner is your business because that should be your your primary source of cash flow generation. Your goal should be to figure out how you can take yourself from working in the business to working on the business so mm-hmm. that you're not you're not spending 
essentially you're spending more of your time managing your business than being managed by your business. And that, that it's a mindset shift and it's figuring out how to employ systems. But I mentioned earlier that there are two main phrases I try to teach to business owners. And the, the second one is what I can consider to be the seven most powerful words for any business owner to learn. And that's find the who that know the how. Uh, most business owners think they, they need to be the one who knows how to do everything within the business. Now, you should be familiar with every aspect of what happens mm -hmm. within your business, but you don't necessarily need to know how to do it. So as an example, um, with, within the various businesses that I own, I know I'm familiar with everything that happens within them. But with regard to our sales funnels, for instance, our, our, our website technology, I don't, I'm not the one who actually codes that in. I'm not the one who actually develops that. I have a, 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 an overview and a, and a thought process by which how it should occur but I'm not the one doing it. So I mm -hmm. found the who to do that within my business. And, and if more business owners take that approach to life, fundamentally their, their businesses will change pretty quickly because they're able to free their time from working in all these different aspects. Because again, most individuals who are job owners really own multiple jobs. They're the, the person who's making sure the lights turn on in the morning. They're the ones who are taking the garbage out at night. They're the ones who are are making sure the, the books are, are, quote unquote, being kept. Most of the time, that's not even happening. Um, but once they, they, they realize that there's a huge power in finding a who outside of themselves, mm -hmm. it, I mean, the leverage you can get from that is amazing. Because again, you only have 24 hours a day, seven days in a week. Um, but when you leverage who, a, a series of who's, you're able to leverage all of their time, effort, and energy, and capacity, um, which is huge. So, yeah, so that's a good point. So, Edward, you talked about assets and looking at that from a, a non traditional sense. So, mm -hmm. we have small business owners uh, who might be job owners mm -hmm. uh, at this point in, in their business. And I'm curious to know what are some of the, the these other assets that they should be that they may not be considering that that you would consider an asset sure. that they may be sitting on gold and not even know it. Well, I, I'd say that remember an asset is something you control that generates cash flow. It doesn't have to be a physical thing that you own, but something you control um, mm -hmm. within a traditional business. An asset simply is an income stream. So if you look at your core business, that is an asset that creates an income stream to you. So the first thing I talk about with a lot of business owners is how can you add income streams to complement what you're already doing in business? And in, in funnel marketing, this is referred to as an upsell. And it happens a lot. If you think about large enterprises now, almost every business is offering upsells within their business, but mm -hmm. most small businesses don't. And I'm like, why? You're leaving, you're leaving gold on the table, if you will. Um, so let, let's think about a, a traditional business. Um, uh, as an example, if, if let, let's say you're, you're a dentist and you own a, a dental practice. Um, the, the traditional dental service is your cash flow generation. That's your, your primary cash flow genera generator. Mm -hmm. But you can add an upsell. You can add um, the sale of merchandise within, within your business. So they uh, an individual comes in for a cleaning. You offer them uh, a water pick as an example. <laughs> it's an upsell. So they come in for the traditional service and you say, oh, by the way, because you're in today, we have a promotion on XYZ water pick. Now, it may not seem like a lot, but when you add an upsell to your average order ticket, 
the average cart value goes up, which creates a, a better enterprise for you when it comes to your your marketing costs, your your ROAS, your return on ad spend. Um, most businesses are are spending money in order to generate traffic. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're either well, let me let me say this. Every business is spending money to generate traffic. They're either actively spending it, meaning they're actually generating traffic, or they're spending money by not generating traffic because it costs them uh, a, a lot more for to service every customer that comes in. So you're either doing it actively or you're doing it passively. My my goal for every business is to be mindful and active in what they're doing to to generate uh, traffic within their enterprise. So if you're if you're looking at um, figuring out what you're doing. Look at at the service or the product that you offer to your customer mm-hmm. and say to yourself, what is something that is related to what I what I'm doing as my core business? And can I add that as an upsell? And if you can't add it yourself, is there a way you can establish a what I refer to as a, a and a lot of people refer to as a JV relationship with a third party provider so that you can maybe get a, a, a percentage of of related revenue. So as an example, mm-hmm. let's say, um, let's say you're a realtor um, and you own a real estate uh, enterprise. Um, almost uh, the, I think the, 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 the average right now is something like 78% or 79% of all new home sales in the United States require a loan. Um, meaning individuals who are going out and purchasing new real estate, almost 80% of them are buying that real estate using some sort of leverage. If you're a realtor, you could potentially establish relationships with different local financial institutions and set up a relationship where you refer um, your particular clients to specific lenders. And for doing that, you get some sort of financial relationship in, in the value of the loan. Um, I think this the again, the the average is somewhere around um, 3%. Uh, commission on on loans uh, generated by a financial institution right now. I could be a little off on that number because a lot of things have changed over the course of the past uh, six months or so, but I think it's somewhere around 3%. So if a financial institution uh, generates or, or originates a loan for a customer, let's say it's a $100,000 uh, mortgage, the average fee that they're getting as the financial institution is about $3,000, about 3% of that originated amount. If you establish a relationship with multiple financial institutions and say, hey, listen, I'm going to feed you customers, meaning you don't have to spend ad dollars in order to get that customer. The customers I'm sending to you are actually individuals who are interested in acquiring a loan, meaning you don't have to convince them that that they need a loan. Um, Is there a way for me to to get some sort of affiliate uh, fee that's associated with that that referral, a referral fee? Um, So that, that is a form of an upsell. Because you're offering, you're adding that additional revenue stream to your core business, um, and you just supplement that around. So you really just have to look at your own individual business right now. You look mm-hmm. at it, what what products you offer, what services you offer, um, and figure out how you can add something that's complementary to it. And it doesn't even have to be in the same um, uh, 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 schema. Schema. So what I mean by that is, if you're a service business. You don't necessarily need to add another service as the upsell. You can add a, a piece of merchandise. Mm-hmm. So um, I have I have a number of clients who are um, in the coaching industry, as an example, um, who are essentially coaches. They 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 get they basically sell their thoughts and their ideas and their strategies, um, and as a service, 
part of their upsells, they may sell, sell merchandise or a, a, a piece of material product as an upsell mm -hmm. to the service offering they're having, whether that's a hat or a t-shirt or um, a, a, a calendar, a, a manual, whatever it may be. Um, so you're just figuring out how to add additional revenue, revenue streams to your existing asset, which is your business. As you begin to really employ um, uh, systems and, and, and processes within your enterprise, then you can start to think strategically with regard to the more profit that you have, how can you deploy that profit towards outside asset acquisition? So in the case of, of a business, maybe you, you buy a similarly situated business. Let's say you're a, a salon owner um, and you've built systems and processes within your enterprise to consistently get into the mid six figures with regard to revenue uh, in a small studio, as, a, as, as, an, as an example. Well, maybe you then start to redeploy that capital to acquire other salons. And here's, here's an interesting thing. You don't necessarily even need to use your own capital to do that. Meaning when you come to the table and sit down and negotiate with someone who's selling a business, the very first thing you should do is, is negotiate on price. What is the price of whatever it is you're going to acquire? Then you move on to terms, meaning uh, you negotiate the purchase price of a salon. Let's say you, you're going to buy a, another salon for $100,000, but that's the, that's the agreed upon sale price. But now you have to negotiate, well, how are you going to do that? Maybe I'm going to pay the salon, out, the salon owner out over 24 months. So out of cash flow from the already existing profitable business. So you're using the, the, that new assets revenue capability, that, that ability to generate profit in order to actually acquire it. So you're not even using your own capital to do it. Um, and really, really good business, businesses grow mm -hmm. that way. They leverage the understanding of how businesses operate. They leverage the fundamentals of, of financial literacy in order to just continue to add more assets to their asset pool um, so that in the future, now they have multiple assets that are generating cash flow for them, and they're able to step further and further back from working in the business to working on the businesses. And that's really where you start to generate what I refer to as real wealth. It's the wealth that that is able to to consistently create cash flow beyond your daily needs and wants, um, and it doesn't depend on you to do it. It, it. Your assets are the ones that are creating that cash flow. Got it. So before our time run out, because I don't want our time to to run out, I usually ask our mentors something practical. What practical tips? that you would like to give our, our, our business owners, our entrepreneurs that they can implement right away or they need to think about right away or they need to go back to their business and look at right away. So what would be those uh, two or three tips that, that you would leave them with? Sure. I, I'd still stay focused. Again, given the season that we're in as we're we're uh, broadcasting this particular podcast, I'd still give focus to plugging some of the, the significant profit leaks in your business when it comes to taxation. Um, and fundamentally, we talked about one already where you can employ your children within your business and and really get a significant tax deduction for doing it. So again, in my scenario, I have two children. Um, I'm able to theoretically pay them up to $12,000 per year each for services. That's $24,000 a year that I can get of tax deduction, which let's say hypothetically, my tax bracket is at 50% across state and federal. 
mm-hmm. um, that essentially saves me $12,000 of taxes by employing that strategy. Um, but there are other profit um, leaks in the tax spectrum that you can you can start to minimize your tax exposure to as well. Things like um, operating um, a true uh, home office. So most accountants, if they're asked, can I deduct my home office expenses uh, for my business? Most accountants will say no, because there are, there are actually pretty str- stringent rules in the tax code with regard to whether or not you can actually qualify for a home office deduction. Um, one of those uh, rules has to do with um, uh, having the space within your, your home office has to be exclusively used for the business. And the second requirement is that it has to be the primary place from which you're doing business. So most businesses, based on those two fundamental requirements, really don't qualify to be able to have a home office from a home office deduction standpoint. But that's when you sit back and you have to say, say to your the, the people you rely on from a tax professional standpoint, you have to say, well, how can I deduct um, that? And and really, there, there's a strategy that's referred to as um, the administrative home office. Um, so what that typically means is that let's say, um, again, let's let's say you're a um, uh, let's say you're a dentist again, uh, as an example. Um, now, the, the productivity work that you do as a dentist, your actual constructive work as a dentist is actually offering dental services to your, 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 your patients. And it's unlikely that you're doing that from your home. So your home could not qualify as your primary business for doing that work. Mm-hmm. But the IRS says that you can actually separate the administrative component of your business from your um, constructive component of your business. Um, things like handling the financial affairs of the business, um, take, uh, recording or dictating your, your patient notes. Those are all administrative functions and they don't necessarily have to be housed within the same business. So you can actually carve them out into a separate business from your main business, pay that separate business for doing those services and operate that separate business, that administrative business from Mm -hmm. your administrative home office. And because that administrative component can now say that it's uh, primary uh, location for doing business is the home. Um, and the area within the home that's being used for that is exclusively used for that purpose. Then you can qualify for what all the benefits of what a home office deduction is. And that's essentially taking the the prorate share of, of the overall home expenses va- based on the amount of square footage that's utilized at home for that purpose. So let's say you have a, a small office in your house that's, I don't know, 10 by 10 room. It's mm-hmm. 100 square feet. Let's say your entire um, uh, home is a thousand square feet, as an example. So, ten percent of your 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 home is your home office. That means ten percent of all of the expenses now of the home are available for a tax deduction, which would mean the interest payments on your mortgage. Ten percent of that could be uh, an interest tax deduction. The maintenance and upkeep on the landscaping of your home, 10% of that could be uh, a tax deduction. Your utility expenses, 10% of that could be. Your property taxes, 10% of that could be. So there are there are ways to, to leverage the tax code to mm-hmm. your advantage. So the very first thing that any business owner who's on this podcast should do is immediately incorporate how can questions to supersede can questions with every financial professional that they work with. How can I do X? How can I do Y? And then engage with them in a in a discourse that actually leads to an outcome that you can implement. Um, and if you're not getting 
um, good feedback from those financial professionals, mm -hmm. then you should really start to investigate whether or not you should look into some other financial professionals. Awesome. Well, I, and I think those how can questions, whether you're in business or you're, you know, working your nine to five. Absolutely. Those how can questions are absolutely helpful and uh, necessary for you to, to move to the next level. So Edward, how can people get and stay connected with you? The easiest way is to just become part of my ecosystem. So you can jump into uplevelentrepreneur.com. Um, once you're on that website, it gives you avenues by which to connect to me. Um, I'm pretty active on Instagram and I, I post a lot of content on there giving basically free uh, introspection into my thought process. Um, one of the, I don't know, I don't know if your viewers have, have spent any time trying to research me or Google me, uh, but I want to make sure I'm clear. I'm the world's foremost expert on my opinion. So, so I share it pretty often. Um, I share it on Instagram, on Facebook. I definitely share it within our, our website. And in fact, if, if your viewers go to the website um, and they scroll just slightly on the website, they're going to get a pop-up to a free ebook that I've written uh, on specifically on foundations to profit. And essentially in there, I talk about a lot of the, the things that I've, I've introduced here in today's uh, session, uh, but I talk about how to actually start to implement that within their individual businesses and, and to take them from being job owners, becoming business owners and working their way to becoming an entrepreneur. And then ultimately to what I refer to as an up-level entrepreneur, someone who, who actually now not only has created wealth, but has now put into systems to protect the wealth that they've created. So to protect it from outside forces like litigants, creditors, um, even the IRS, Uncle Sam, uh, mm -hmm. because again, no one wants to have to get wealthy twice. So you want to make sure you have the right protection mechanisms in place to to really offset any of those those hazards that inevitably are in every entrepreneur's path. Awesome. Well, this was very helpful. I think it's always good to do a reset and refocus on our businesses and seeing where we can fully optimize. So if there are tax strategies that you can employ, if you are busy uh, being a job owner and seeing where there's ways that you can outsource and then looking at ways where you can actively grow your uh <laughs> I just threw a blank on what I was saying on your assets. And so thinking about those those ways that you can grow your business and grow your assets and essentially your profits so that you can be wealthy and not just rich. Absolutely. So that was awesome. So Edward, it has been nice really getting to hear from you and learning something from you tonight and really challenging me to think back to make sure that I have some of these things uh, in, in play as well. So thank you so much for your knowledge and expertise. I think it was very helpful. Coach C, I, I definitely appreciate having the opportunity to share my perspective. And I, I want to applaud you for putting together your ecosystem in which you serve the individuals in your audience to a, a level that quite frankly, is 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 much needed. So I, I appreciate what you're doing. And I just want to applaud your efforts and energy to, to help all the people that you serve to up-level their lives and their businesses. 
Well, thank you. Thank you for being a part of that journey. It, it takes a village and I believe that together we are better. So it takes each of us and knowing that you can't do it all. That's why I have awesome mentors that come week after week and share their zone of genius. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, thank everyone who's uh, in attendance and even watching it on the replay too. So be well, be healthy and uh, keep moving forward. Awesome. So thank you viewers for tuning in to this episode. Make sure that you share it out. We will have the audio version that will go to all of your favorite podcast platforms. So stay tuned for that. We had Belinda to say great tidbits. Thank you. Thank you. So she's wanted to say thank you. Definitely. You're very welcome. So thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Leadership Tidbits. We will be back next Tuesday. And as you know, each and every Tuesday, in addition to Leadership Tidbits with Coach T. Wilson on the Direct Impact Broadcasting Network, we have Elaborate Topics. So we had another amazing episode that released today as well. And so we had several people before we close out. I just want to bring them up on the screen it actually tuned in and said thank you thank you and thanks Wonderful. so thank you all for tuning in we really appreciate having you with us today and until next time next week same time same channel new mentor same coach t i'll see you next time wish I you well in you your journey guys bye thank for now you. Thank you so much. Have a super amazing week. Thank you, friends, for tuning in to another episode of Leadership Tidbits with Coach T. Wilson, where Taiwana speaks with leaders who share nuggets of wisdom that you can use in your personal and professional life. Follow her on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Coach T. Wilson. Connect on LinkedIn or visit www.coachtwilson.com. And remember, in life, learn as much as you can, appreciate often, and lead fearlessly.